From west to east and kingdom to kingdom, you're listening to the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. Connecting with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hey there, hi there, ho there, and welcome to episode 268 of the Diz Unplugged, Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and Diz historian, Michael Bowling, and I am joined by longtime listener to Connecting with Walt and good friend, Anita Bauman. Anita, welcome back to Connecting with Walt. Thanks, Michael. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's good to see you. And um, so from September 8th through September 10th, Anita, her husband, and I, along with hundreds of other Disney fans, attended Destination D23, which is sort of like a mini D23 expo. In our previous episode, we talked about day one of the event. So in this episode, Anita and I will talk about the events of day two on September 10th and the archives exhibit. And last week I said we would talk about Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party, but the episode ran so long we decided to um, move it over to this episode. And then um, and we attended that on September 8th. So last week, we unpacked the special gift, which was a lug backpack filled with all kinds of swag. Well, I thought I'd found everything in the bag when we unpacked it. But the next day, I was going through the backpack, and I discovered another pocket. And it had two more items. It had the the Lurkana playing cards that I said I didn't get. Uh, Another Dumbo patch. So I got two Dumbo patches. And then I don't know what it is. It's like a facial for makeup a set spray or something yeah you just know. it's like if i think they probably did it because florida's so hot i didn't see a real disney connection but if you have you put it on and then you <laughs> spray it and it supposedly keeps you your f- foundation and everything from getting from like dripping off oh, um, if, okay. if you're if you're in the heat or under lights um it was not really explained why they were a sponsor or anything so oh okay more free stuff Oh, sounds good. So anyway, so I got that. I'll probably give that to my daughter, the facial set spray. The backpack is interesting if you, because there's got so many pockets. If you ever go to use that on a trip, you really have to have a plan. Yes. You have to know where you put things. So you're going to spend 20 minutes going through that backpack. So you you need like a little spreadsheet. Yeah. For it. (laughs) Well, let's start out by talking about the archives exhibit. And it was called, and I'm going to have to get out my photos here so I can remember. It was called The Plausible Impossible, 60 Years of Disney Audio Animatronics Technology. So the sign said, discover the evolution of this legendary technology from Walt's earliest inspirations to the development of modern day marvels and follow the creative process that transforms an idea from sketch to a remarkable illusion of life and of course this is smaller than uh you know what the archives exhibit puts on at the 23 expo because you know it's the cart all this stuff cross country from burbank so there's not quite as much in there so it starts out you know the story that we all know walt found an antique mechanical sinking bird 
He was intrigued with how it worked, and he asked Waythel Rogers to and some of the other Imagineers to take it apart, see what makes it tick. And that led to the creation of audio animatronics. So, uh, so they had they had a display, and it was there were a lot of um, corkboards with material like pinned up on them and all that. And I don't know about you, Anita, but for me, when I went and saw it, they had these displays and they had placards that described them. I could barely read them because they had the ropes so far away from the tables. I had difficulty reading them. I was leaning over. Yeah, I found myself even today like zooming in my pictures to try to read the cards and things because – Everything was kind of all the descriptive stuff was pretty tiny. Yeah. So the it, so in the first table, they had a lot of pictures of um they had the bird in the gilded cage, the little you know, little mechanical bird. Then they had photos, a lot of photos of like the Barker bird at Disneyland. And the, or oh, I think this might have been the Walt Disney World one because they had it for a while. They had, then they had like, they had photos from the Tiki Room and the, the famous one of Walt with um, Jose. And they had, you know, photos of Project Little Man. Then on the table, they had like little miniature busts of, um, that were created for Project Little Man and it looked like just for other projects, sort yeah, of nondescript projects. Kind of random. I, I didn't. I have a picture of it, but I don't know what all it is. Yeah. And and then they they had some, you know, it, they had some paraphernalia, you know, printouts, brochures, cards from the um, Enchanted Tiki Room. Also from the opening of Nature's Wonderland in Frontierland. The and mind I did, train through Nature's Wonderland. I did zoom in on that card. And the why, why that was there is it said it was the first use of... Um, the word audio animatronic mm-hmm. in marketing. So I thought that was interesting. That kind of stood out for me. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And then, of course, they they then talked about great moments with Mr. Lincoln and the, um, you know, being the first human figure and how then three attractions from the from the New York World's Fair in 63-64, made their way to Disneyland. And that, of course, was great moments with Mr. Lincoln, It's a Small World, and Carousel of Progress. Some of, like, the dinosaurs from the Ford's Magic Skyway was became an extension of that Grand Canyon diorama that was in uh, the Walt Disney um, Railroad, Walt, uh, Disneyland Railroad. And that became the primeval world diorama. And it's sort of neat that, you know, we have these things that have lasted so long from, you know, 63, 64 and all that. And then on the next table, they had an actual, it looks like it was a early audio animatronic head um, without the skin. It was was quite frightening. It was creepy. (laughs) It is with the, with the big eyeballs and the teeth and all that. This would be a wonderful Halloween, um, you know, the thing to frighten kids. But they had a beautiful audio animatronic doll there from It's a Small World. Yes. I don't know if it was like from the Africa scene 
I believe it looks and, like it was. I just yeah. hope she was extra because otherwise, there's a small world somewhere that's missing a doll. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think she's from the 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 final scene where everything's in white, right? Yeah, and all that. So of course, had the wonderful Alice Davis costume, and then again, they had up on the corkboard, they had like postcards from the World's Fair, and it's a small world, and they had a photograph of the Mister Lincoln exhibit when he was still in test mode. And, uh, and then, and Walt talking to Imagineers, uh, and, um, about, it looks like about audio animatronics. And then there's also a couple of pictures from like the television shows when he was on, when, you know, Wonderful World of Color, when he was talking about, um, the, the World's Fair and all that. So he's there, you know, a picture with him and the cavemen and, you know, all that stuff. So, um, so that was the, they had some tickets there for the, for the, that attraction and, and a little book, like a visit to the New York World's Fair and stuff like that. Then the next, uh, table focused on the more, you know, the more sophisticated audio animatronic figures. Like they talked about Pirates of the Caribbean debuting in 1967 and it this is when they moved and we talked about this last week they moved to the um a1 series the hydraulic audio animatronics so and so then they they had a ton of photos on the cork board about that like mark davis painting the the um pirate parrot and just all kinds of photos from like walt Again, in a TV show talking about audio animatronics. And there's a picture of the early Hatbox Ghost. Well, no, it's a pirate, it looks like. Thought it was Hatbox Ghost. There's Blaine Gibson creating the busts. And then there were, then there's photos of Country Bear Jamboree in there. And then they have some things like a, uh, like a little, um, souvenir guidebook of pirates of the caribbean an early one and then they had the barker bird that was from pirates of the caribbean in there at um walt at the magic kingdom walt disney world so that was neat and then they had look i think this was this was a country bear jamboree audio animatronic from the opening day yeah it was bubbles yeah oh okay and then, and then, so that's interesting to see the, the inside and all that. You could sort of tell it was a bear and all that, but you saw all the inner workings and they talked about how, you know, when that attraction opened in 1971, they had 18 custom built audio animatronic bears. And then they talked about the great movie ride was a great leap forward. And they had the A100 figure that moved and gestured more fluidity. And realistically than ever before. And of course, the Wicked Witch in the Wizard of Oz scene was the, was probably was the top AA figure at the time. And then they showed a control board, one of the early control boards. And, and then they also had, um, so that was interesting. I have no idea how this thing would work. And, and then again, they had pictures of attractions, like where they were, um, pro using this a board similar to what was on display. They were programming America sings, you know, the geese, the singing mm-hmm. geese. They had a picture of that. They had a picture of Dreamfinder from journey to imagination on his rocket ship, whatever that was. Right. So 
I know it had a name. And then, and then they showed, uh, again, creating, creating busts and figures for, um, for like, again, uh, the, um, America Sings and also for the Disney MGM studios as well in there. So that was neat. Then they had a hand. One of the, one of the, um, from the great movie ride, one of the attractions, the work, and it was actually working. In a, oh, a I think hand. I missed was, that. Yeah, it was opening and closing its fingers. So, um, so that was sort of neat. And then, and then they, they had a couple of hands actually. One was seemed to be working and then others were on display in there. And then they talked about the, uh, the characters then that were created from Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run, and that was a new type of AA figures, and um, and so it replaced the former hydraulic functions. It was it was they were electric, and so that they could move even more smoothly. And they showed um, again. It looks like I can't quite read the sign. It looks like a parrot or something from was it Pirates of the Caribbean? Something oh, like the little the the, the bird white, that was later in the display, the white yeah, and black bird. Yeah, I don't yeah. know where it was from. I it does. It looks like a penguinish or a beach a beach bird. So maybe it was from yeah. pirates. And it looks like it's in an egg. Yes. So that's why I'm not sure what it's from. And then again, they they just talked about you know some of the other. I took a close-up of the bird. <laughs> Some other, let's see, I can read the sign. Electric bird prototype created by Walt Disney Imagineering 2016. Okay. So that's what it was. So so I don't know if this ever saw the light of day anywhere. But it was one of the first electric figures. And then again, they showed the hand, an audio animatronic hand. This one was also moving. It was an electric hand. And then they talked about from sketch to show, and they they t- and so they sort of got away from AA figures a bit as you went around the room, um, and then it was from sketch to show, and it just showed how their their sort of inspirational sketches for costumes, for facades, for like the haunted mansion, Mary Poppins, the country bears, um, great movie ride, um, all kinds of things. Um, the attraction, the Beauty and the Beast attraction at Tokyo Disneyland. Um, they had inspirational sketches and then they showed then from those inspirational sketches, how they build the models and the, uh, the sort of the, um, test models. And they did have the hatbox ghost in there. And that was cool. Now he was the undressed <laughs> hatbox yeah. ghost. You just saw it sort of like, his the body was covered so you didn't see too much of the inner workings and you saw there's sort of a little claw that is where he's going to hang the hat box hold the hat box and he has a cane and then you see his face a skeleton face but no clothing no nothing on that so um and that was for the that was the model for the Disneyland haunted mansion in 2014 and then they just showed Then they had videos of things, but I couldn't hear them at all. So, but it was like, but there was one of creating that the original Hatbox Ghost that then disappeared at Disneyland. And they had models of the various heads and all that. And this was the 
the Walt Disney Imagineering Illusion Development Lab um, display. But again, I have no idea what they were, what these little, it's like they were on iPads or monitors or something. And it showed, um, also it showed like, looks like creating uh, the American Adventure. One of the videos was showing that as well. So, um, and then it went to fabrication, which was talking about, you know, just putting everything together, you know, actually building that. And they had, um, and then they had the little model. We talked about it last week of how they dis, how they created the illusion of the beast turning into the handsome prince in a Tokyo Disneyland. Um, attraction. They had the mock-up model that the Imagineer talked about how, and this is the way he demoed it so that, and then, and a number of them demoed their concepts. And this is the one that won out. So that was, and it wasn't very big at all. No, it was tiny. Yeah. So, and then they just showed in fabrication, they showed again, the insides of different figures. Again, another face that was really creepy. (laughs) <laughs> with the eyes and the big old fake teeth and um and then some oh there was another contraption I'm trying to see what it was oh the Davy Jones um head prototype for yes. at the um at Shanghai Disneyland which is a wonderful attraction that they're pirates of the caribbean then they got into costuming and how they create the costumes and they had like the Indiana Jones costume there for the AA figures. And they just showed like fabrics and swatches and a Mary Poppins style hat. And um, I know something that looks like it may have been from Pirates of the Caribbean and something that may have been from like Galactic Edge or something, a cap. And I think they had like Figment's sweater on the, on the rack of clothes that they had there. Yeah, they, you're right. They had, a, and they had a ton of rack of clothes. Yeah. And but figments is probably the only one we would figure out what they it was. Put it one there looks for like a reason. <laughs> yeah, one looks like a spacesuit. And then some look like they belong to various princesses or something. I'm not too sure what all of that was. There are tags on every one of them, but th- th- you couldn't see from the distance what they were. Then they had then the next thing they showed was figure finishing and on metal racks, they again showed like Various AA heads in development from Pirates and Haunted Mansion and Country Bears. And I don't know what was on the top rack. So what that was from with the big long finger. So and then and then they had Davy Jones's head as well over there. And that, that the next one was the final figures. So then they just showed what different AA figures looked like when they were completed. And it was like, there was like a little bird. There was a, there was a puffin. There was some other creature. I don't know what it was, but it looked like it was some little tiny space age creature. And, and then again, they had, a, they had another cork board with pictures from various attractions at Epcot and Tomorrowland at Walt Disney World in there primarily. And they had the cutest little Remy that I wanted to take with his little cheese plate oh, from, from Ratatouille. Yes. <laughs> I have, I have, um, I have that. I remember when it appeared in the <laughs> Chefs de France um, restaurant 
they'd wheel him around. But yeah, they had him here. I don't know why they stopped doing stuff like that. And the puffin here, okay, I took a close-up so I can read the sign. It's not letting me expand. I think it was from Maelstrom. Oh, that would make sense. The little puffin bird. Yeah. And then I don't know what the thing was that was above the puffin. It's a figure that's sitting on top of something. Oh, it had to do with interventions. That was it. It was from Disneyland's interventions. It was a character in there. Then they had a couple of full-size AA figures. One was uh, the one from Galaxy's Edge, and it just showed, you know, how much more complex, really, the innards of the new ones are compared to the old hydraulics of the early audio-animatronic figures. So that was neat. And then, um, let's see, they had another one. Here it is. And again, it was, it was, uh, oh, they, they compared it on the other side of it was one of the early hydraulic figures so that you could see them back to back. It was the A100 and the A1000. And yeah, and it was, they were, they were there for you to explore, but they weren't moving. And and admire. Yeah. Yeah. You could study them up close without their, without their skin. (laughs) Yeah. It wasn't a big exhibit. What did you think of it? I thought it was interesting. It, you know, it it was nice that it, they just picked one focus because um, sometimes it's the the assemblage of things seems very random. Um, mm-hmm. I I do feel like it's one of those cases where you know Becky Klein and whoever worked on this probably put together something really great, and then when they got into the space, and it's like, oh, this is where it has to go, and so they have to just kind of make do with where they put the stuff on the wall or where the where the signs are um, and, and the fact that you couldn't get as close to it, but no, I thought it, it added to it. it. It was something as significant as audio animatronics deserves an exhibit um, because especially for the hundredth anniversary, because it, it really was pioneered by the Walt Disney company. Um, and since they didn't do a whole session on it, they just alluded to it in different sessions. Mm-hmm. It made sense to give us something visual that we could walk through that had been curated for the conference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it was nice, but um, I just wish the cards were a little bigger <laughs> so that you could read them easily and hear the videos. But So now we're going to get into September 10th, the second day of Destination D23. Now, there was a lot of security for this day. There were men in black everywhere um, because several previews were shared, and we were told not to record any audio or video. Did you hear about the guy in the front row, Michael? No. Somebody was, there was apparently somebody in premier seating in the front row who took out his camera or cell phone during one of these. And there were like five Disney suits on him immediately. And he was escorted out. Wow. So they <laughs> we couldn't do- see it where we were sitting. But <laughs> so they do play hardball. What that? That's good to know. Yeah. So, well, that's what you get. <laughs> exactly. So it it opened up with a reel of Walt Disney and his team creating the early films. So they had a lot of clips from the early films. And Michael James Scott came out, again, the genie from Broadway's Aladdin. He sang, A Dream is a Wish Your Heart Makes as the soundtrack for this. And then they had then they brought out the voice of Miguel again. Um, and he sang, I can't remember his name. 
So, but I was glad they gave him something to do because he didn't have a lot to do on day one, especially in that where they were all reading, doing a cold read in all the different voices. They really didn't give him much of it. They had him say, I thought this was terrible. He, he was the token Spanish speaking person. So they had him recite one of the, um, you know, one of the warnings that is always in Spanish. Like I think it was for the monorail. Yes. His name's Anthony (laughs) Gonzalez. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I just saw him on Facebook. He was introducing a Coco-themed venue on, I think, one of the the new Disney ships. But anyway, so he came out and he sang Un Polo Loco. And and he came out with with the band that plays at the Mexican Pavilion at Epcot. And that was neat. And then, and then he pl- also sang Remember Me. So, and he has a, still has a terrific voice. So then the hosts of the D23 podcast, which I don't recall their names, they ran through the day sessions and they announced a new box set of 100 Disney animated films for the 100th anniversary. And, and it's Disney and Pixar films. They didn't go into details. Details were released a little later. Have you heard how much this box set costs, Anita? I can only imagine. 300 Oh. Oh. Ho, ho. <laughs> $1,500. Oh, Lord. I know He's you and Chris that. will be running right out and getting that. Uh, oh, and there's one film that's not included. Can you guess what it is? Song of the South? That's right. Because <laughs> that doesn't exist. <laughs> no, no. It's a figment of our imagination. Yeah. So, so they talked about how Walt Disney always kept moving forward. And at the and at the heart of a great film is a great story. So then they showed clips from various animated and live action um, films. And then the next then was the Walt Disney Studio Showcase. And they had Clark Spencer, the president of Walt Disney Animation Studio, come out and he he wanted he was wanted to thank everyone for their support of a hundred years of animation. And you know, how do you do that? So then um I think it was Dan Abraham and Trent Corey came out to announce a new short. And they were they did um, Once Upon a Snowman, that short, if folks recall that. They put together a film celebrating this milestone of 100 years. And they said, of, of animation, they said this was a love letter to Disney animation and the people who created them and to the fans. And so this was its debut. And it's called Once Upon a Studio. Um, this was incredible. Probably one of the best Disney shorts I have ever seen. There was at least a one minute standing ovation after it was over. And what it is, is that they, um, it's, they're, they're, they're trying to get a photo, a group photo for the hundredth anniversary at the animation building, you know, the big sorcerers had in Burbank and, all of the characters come out of paintings and pictures and God only knows where else. It was, I don't know how many, I don't know how many characters there were, but it was some, even the most obscure films. 
It was hilarious. It was delightful. Um, there were all kinds of little Easter eggs in it. It was fun seeing characters from different films interact as if they're all buddies, you know, and do that. And they said that, um, they, they, the directors choked up at the standing ovation. They said there were over 40 original voice actors. There was brand new 2D and 3D animation. And Eric Goldberg um, oversaw the 2D animation. But what do you think of this, Anita? This short. I loved it. It's it ties with my favorite thing, which I'll talk about it after we finish. It was it's it's right up there with the thing I, I took away from this. Um, it had so much heart. And it did have so many characters and, and around the room, you could just hear when somebody's favorite character came on, you could hear kind of the, that, that gasp or that, that exclamation of joy, um, that, that people had. Um, and, and it was funny. It had good gags. And then it, and then that has that moment, which I won't ruin because I'm hoping people will get to see this, but there's a, a very sweet moment where Walt has a chance to interact with a portrait of Walt Disney. And I'm sorry if you oh, weren't Mickey crying. Mouse, Mickey I'm, Mouse. I'm sorry, yeah. Mickey Mouse. Yes, Mickey Mouse. Yeah. Mouse. If you weren't crying at that up to that yeah. point, it moved you to tears. And then honestly, just seeing the response to the animators, it was the only standing ovation. Um, and I think it just shows that there are people who still work at Disney who get it, mm-hmm. who appreciate what they created, the whole hundred years of, of animation and why it is so it is so special. So for me, it was just, um, it was perfect. It really yeah, was. I agree. They didn't say when this was going to be released to the public. I suspect it's going to be the short before Wish. Because that film is supposed to celebrate the 100th anniversary. I, I hope so. And I hope, too, that somebody thinks to release the poster of the group portrait, because I know that would sell. Yes. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Because they, 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 they are successful at taking the group portrait. But it, 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 not easily, as you would expect. <laughs> With Goofy as the photographer, you would not right. expect it to go well. So, But... Then they played a clip of Richard Sherman playing the piano in Walt's office and feed the birds. And, um, and, and they, and I wrote used in a scene in the short. So, um, I think, oh, they played feed the birds and all that. I think in the short. I think that was when Walt was engaging with Walt's portrait. I mean, when Mickey was engaging with Walt's portrait, Mm -hmm. I think it was that. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And then they showed, um, uh, they showed scenes from Ashoka episodes one through four. And then um, the prop master, um, Josh Roth, came out to talk about Ashoka and Chopper. And then, and I have not seen the series yet. So this I was all either. new to me. So Chopper came out and waved. And it was, he was cute. He's a little droid and he has little hands. And he sort of even waved both of his hands as he was going off stage. And so anyway, so Josh created props for the Mandalorian, the book of Boba Fett and Ashoka. And he said, if R2D2 is a dog, Chopper is a cat. <laughs> so, so that intrigues me. So they showed, uh, sort of, um, tests for the chipper figure. And they said it took 20 weeks to create. So, which doesn't seem very long to me, but anyway. And then they talked about lightsabers and Ashoka's lightsaber design is slim and the 
there had batteries had to be in her sleeve. And so, and then, and that, so then they finally created a, a, a new saber that was fully integrated. So, and then they talked about the Balin um, lightsaber and they showed how the design was created from concept to the real saber. And then in the swag, we, we got a pair of Ahsoka, Ahsoka ears. And that's when we got the Ahsoka ears with the Mickey Mouse um, ears on them. So anyway, so that was cute. And then uh, again, then they had more entertainment, the haunted mansion ballroom dancers dance to grim grinning ghosts. And, um, with the hitchhiking ghosts. They also came out. And then they had a little film with the cast of the Haunted Mansion. Now it's a tribute to the attraction. And that it will debut on Disney Plus and digital on October 4th. And then it will be released on um, Blu-ray later that month. But they didn't. I don't think they announced a date for when it would no, be on Blu-ray. So. Hopefully it'll be in time to order it for Halloween. Yes. So, um, and then Peter Sun came out. He's the director of Pixar's Elemental. And he, he, um, thanked you. He had a, I, he had a thank you. I guess it was a film message that it will be on Disney Plus. And there was a clip of a documentary on the inspiration for the film because it is based on his experiences and his fam- family's experiences being immigrants to the United States. And all that. Then they had a Marvel clip. They had um Baby Groot, and he see and this was cute. This little short where he sees a, sort of an interstellar ice cream truck, and then all his efforts to get the ice cream. And then they said that um there would be uh we oh we all got a dining card Disney a Disney dining card um for a Mickey Mouse ice cream um later on <laughs> so that was cute that baby Groot that baby Groot clip was that short it was, was adorable it was very, very very special yeah. and then Kevin Wright the director of Loki season 2 came out he said season 1 was the most watched series on Disney Plus and season 2 he said is the ultimate time traveling adventure and it begins immediately after the season 1 um um, clip. So, I'm gonna have to go back and watch Loki again because yeah. What do you I, think of it? I liked it, but you have to kind of pay attention. And I try I tend to watch television while doing other things, and so I think I need to go watch it again and pay a little bit more attention to some of the the time manipulation in it because I know that's critical to the whole story. But yeah. I liked it. I mean, it's it's um, for me. For me, it was okay. I didn't get as excited about it as most other people did. So I don't know why. So Yeah, I get that. I mean, I think I liked, what was the other one that was, was it WandaVision or whatever? What was mm-hmm. the, that one? Yeah. I liked that one better. Yeah, I um, did too. Th- than Loki. So, um, but I'll probably give it another try just to see, because this, this, the previews for season two looked good. Yeah. Yeah. They showed a recap of season one and then the very beginning of se- uh, season two, it was like a teaser trailer for the season. And I think uh, I wrote 10 October 6th. So that must be when they are, uh, it's debuting on Disney plus. And then there was a sneak peek of the Marvels and the sort of the time. And then um, also a teaser trailer for wish. 
And the Marvels looks fine. I've seen it in this theater, the actual trailer. And Wish does look good. It really does. The animation is very unusual because it looks like it's a combination of 3D and 2D in there. So I don't know. It's interesting. It's a different style of animation, definitely. Yeah, it looks beautiful. And it, it at least from what they're saying, it sounds like it's got a solid story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, let's hope they're going back to their roots, you know, <laughs> with good storytelling and a good, strong character and all that. And then Clark Spencer um, said that he had Jennifer Lee meet with the Frozen director, um, Chris Buck, I think, to create a film for the 100th Celebration, um, an all-new digital animated fairy tale. So Jennifer Lee wrote the screenplay, Chris Buck, and, um, oh gosh, this name I'm going to, going to uh, massacre. Fawn Virasurathora? You want to give it a try? I didn't get it, so. <laughs> oh. Well, they were the directors of Wish, and they came on stage next. So they said, um, they said Wish. They said Wish captures the heart of Disney animated films, in which heroes and heroines are fighting for a wish. And they had. A, I have a quotation here. There is no greater power in the universe than someone who has a wish in their heart. So I think that's sort of the theme of this film in here. And then he talked about Asha, she who's the heroine of the story. She lives in a village where wishes can't come true. And her, um, let's see. And, and so she, oh gosh, she just, oh, and then she also has, and so is her pet baby goat, who's named Valentino. He's like her sidekick in there. And they said, and then there's this, so that's the other character. And they said Star is another character as well. And, and, and we saw a star in the clip and it is literally a star. <laughs> so, but it's a cute little Disney star. So it mm-hmm. has magical powers. And they said that, um, Asha is, is apprentice to King Magnifico and he's a self-named and taught sorcerer King who makes wishes come true. Well, so people give their most powerful wish to Manifico for safekeeping, but he only grants the wishes to those who serve his personal needs. And then Asha then makes a most powerful wish. And then, and that sort of disrupts poor Magnifico's world there. And then Asha herself came out on stage and then they took a photo and then all these confetti stars fell from the sky. And this is when they showed 10 minutes of the film with two songs. And it looked really good. It and did. and I think they I think they announced, I don't know if they announced here or later, she would be in the parks. Yes. Too, as a meet and greet character in there. So that was pretty much it for... 100 Years of Walt Disney Animation Studios. So I I thought it was good mainly because of the two clips that they showed, the the short uh, uh, about celebrating the studio, and then Wish. I I really like that clip. Yes, I I agree. And then the ambassadors from uh, the Masador of Alani came out, and he played – 
uh, um, wish upon it. He play, played and sang um, when you wish upon a star on his ukulele. And he was very good. So, and then, and then again, Michael James Scott came out and this, and he was uh, sort of the moderator for the Walt Disney animation studio um, segment here too. And Mark Hen. Um, he was an, he came out, he was an animator since 1980. He knew he wanted to be an animator when he went to YMCA camp when he was nine years old and saw the reluctant dragon, which is a wonderful short. And then the scene in which Ward Kimball shows how to animate was magic for him. And then, um, and then the head of animators for dis for, um, Disney's wish. I, I know Becky and Wayne, there were, there were other, people i didn't grab all their names i just got becky and wayne so yeah so anyway they were um they've been working so working on wish celebrating 100 years when they um approach when they were approached animation for wish they went they wanted it to be sincere and then they read a memo that walt disney wrote to um to Mark Graham of the Chouinard Institute. And it outlined what Walt was looking for in animators to Snow White. And, um, and then they distilled it. And they, sh- and they said this memo is online. And it contained the principles of animation so Don could train the animators. And what Walt, they said, outlined then is still true today. And so Mark also animated Once Upon a Studio. And he said, it's rare to animate past characters with the voice talents. And it was, he said it was a nice reunion. Oh, he animated over 30 characters in that short. And there's a lot more than 30 characters in there. Right. Too. I mean, there's, it seems like hundreds are in there. And you know, then I went, I was going to say, I went and um, I looked up the memo mm-hmm. and I read it. And uh, it's interesting. Uh-huh. It's it's really it it really shows the clarity of Walt's vision, and I'm I'm glad that it's still being referenced because I had not read it before. So I'm glad he mentioned it because I made a note to go find it, and and um, it's long. <laughs> <laughs> Is there any takeaways from it for you? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, Walt basically said that a good animator should know how to draw, obviously but they should also know how to caricature actions. Mm -hmm. Um, They should also have a knowledge of acting. They should be able to think up gags and put over gags and then also have story and audience values. And then all the mechanical things like the sensations of something of all different kinds of things. Um, And, and so he really emphasizes in here that, Hey, Don, you're teaching people how to draw, but you're teaching them to draw only realistic things. I need you to teach them how to draw, how to caricature something. So when they're drawing a model for your class, maybe you should have them draw a caricature of that. And then he goes on to this whole thing about like, how do you mine something for the the most effect? And he talks about, you know, the way, the way uh, he says fat, we'd say overweight today, but the way an overweight person walks, the way a short person walks, the way a skinny person walks, all those things. How do you take that for the most you can? Um, it's a, it's a really good memo. It mm-hmm. actually would be something it would make a, a good episode at some point, um, you know, to, mm-hmm. to talk about, cause it's, it's, it's more than you typically see of what Walt actually says at, at length about, you know, one thing I want to say, it's probably, it's about eight pages. Okay. And of course, you know, Walt created character animation. 
And this, that memo is at the heart of what mm-hmm. character animation is about and creating sincerity and um, emotion as well as tell the story through their actions. So, um, so it's excellent. Okay. Now, Becky said her first film, when she talked about what was, they asked like, what were the first films you worked on and stuff? She said she loves fairy tales and music and she wanted to be a princess. And she used to draw as a child um, all the time. And Mickey Mouse was the first character and she studied art and animation and she was hired by the Disney, you know, animation training program. And so of course, since she loves princesses so much, (laughs) the first film she was assigned to was dinosaur. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Which is a great film. (laughs) I like it. I think it's really (laughs) underrated. Yeah. So, um, so she said, she, so she said, she asked, so, so is there a princess dinosaur? (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, but she said she still fell in love with the characters and the film. And Wayne said being a Disney animator is exciting. It's never boring because you live, you you have to study each character. And so with Bolt, he studied dogs. And with Wreck-It Ralph, he studied video games. So, and then um, they worked with Imagineering on the Frozen attraction and animated an AA figure. So it was a whole different realm of animation for them. And they said it's all about the audience and storytelling, as Walt outlined in his memo that, that you shared a bit of, Anita. So the, he, they were asked, how long of a journey is it from an idea to a draft? And Mark said, when the script comes in, it's a four to five year process. And then they said, which um, they said, which Disney title is the most is it inspirational? So, and Mark said Cinderella, it was the first film he saw and, um, and he was mentored by Eric Larson who, um, worked on Cinderella. So he inspired him as he animated Ariel. So for the little mermaid and Becky loves fairy tales. She said she worked on a, um, on her first fairy tale and it was tangled. So that's a good one. It to is. start out with. And then Frozen 1 and 2. And she's also worked on Wish. So she said all of this has just been a dream come true for her. And Wayne said, um, you know, a- another inspirational film is Aladdin. It's a film that has everything in it. And then Mulan, he said it transported him. And that Bambi is beautiful. So he couldn't just choose one film. He just... <laughs> He just, I think he started choosing films he worked on as well as films he wished he had worked on. So, and then they said, what, and then they were asked, what do you hope is in store for the next 100 years of animation? Wayne said, we're always telling stories and entertaining audiences, and that should never change. Um, Becky said, ditto and uh, more fairy tales, please. (laughs) So, and Mark said, um, you know, in the next hundred years, he said, uh, I'll be very old. Um, <laughs> there's new stories, characters, new visuals, new worlds. They said the horizon is wide open and full of amazing stories. So I'm ho- I took that as hoping that no more remakes. <laughs> let's I, I tell some, so. let's tell new stories effectively the way we used to. 
Mark kind of showed his cards a little bit there with his, I think he used new five times in one sentence. So he, mm-hmm. he, he clearly wants to message that new is what at least he as an animator is hopeful for new, yeah. new everything. Yeah, I do. I agree. And then they were asked, how do you break through the mental blocks? And Becky said, going out into the world and seeing people and finding inspiration and then bringing it back to work. Wayne said, research, studying, observation solves a lot of it. Collaboration with other artists to get feedback also helps. Mark said, he was just very practical. He said, take a walk around the lot to clear his head, and then he can hit it again fresh. So, and then they said, the next question was, what was it like to see your first animation? And Mark said he worked on Mickey Mouse for Mickey's Christmas Carol, and he was amazed and surprised because it was his dream to work at the Walt Disney Studio. Becky said seeing her name in the credits of Dinosaur gave her goosebumps. And Wayne said meet the Robinsons. He was happy to work under his mentor, um, John Rippa. And as a trainee, you are assigned to a supervising animator. And he learned about character animation on that film. I like Meet the Robinsons. It's one of my favorite films. I think it's very underrated. And it got applause when he said the name. So obviously other people like it too. (laughs) And, And the heroes of that are in Once Upon a Studio. Yes. As well. I was so happy to see them in there. And then they were asked to give advice to young animators. Becky said, animation is hard, but it's fun. It takes a lot of time. And Wayne said, positive statements. Make sure you're saying something with your work. How a character moves tells their personality and feeling in that moment. So, again, that's getting back to that memo. You said Walt's Mm -hmm. memo. Mark said, be a great observer of the world and the people and animals around you. And you can use these observations for your characters and it brings um, a character to life. So, and then he said, Walt said, we are animating life and you have to observe life. So then Wayne said, animation is a celebration of life. And then um, Peyton Lebler, Liebler, from D23 mm-hmm. came out. That was sort of the end of that. Then right. we had the Global Ambassador Showdown. <laughs> I felt this was, again, a filler. And and they were already running over time because Michael James Scott kept adding his own questions. And I think he likes to hear himself talk. <laughs> so, a little bit. <laughs> uh, yeah. And so because he he just didn't ask a question. He had to add a whole lot of words to his question before he got it out. So, um, but anyway, so this was the global ambassador showdown and it's celebrating the magic uh, in a competition. And also this was maybe a commercial for all the parks. I think so. I think. So they were asked different questions, like what is the best of the best at their resorts? So the first category was snack attack. So and so for Hong Kong Disneyland because I didn't jot down the names of the ambassadors, um, the signature Disney dim sum which I had when I was at Hong Kong Disneyland, so I have to agree with her. <laughs> uh, Walt Disney World, they said the caramel corn at the Germany Pavilion, oh, and workers, yeah, yeah, and the Mickey Mouse ice cream bar and sandwich. So 
anyway, because some of there's multiple answers because there's more than one ambassador for some of these. Right. Um, at Disneyland, I uh, churro. <laughs> okay, fine. And and the and the spicy corn dog. Well, what so. would you have said for Disneyland since it's for your park? Disneyland. I don't know. <laughs> I would have been boring. I probably would have said popcorn, but. <laughs> You know, or a Dole Whip or something like that. I don't yeah, know. I'm so- but the corn dogs from the Little Red Wagon are the best in the park. I'm so surprised I- Dole Whip did not make it anywhere in there. I know. I know. <laughs> so. And then Disneyland Paris, they said the W.E.B. Mochi and um, and Sweet Popcorn. And at Shanghai Disneyland, uh, the Davy Jones Pirates Feast. That is in the uh, in the restaurant that's attached to the parts of the Caribbean attraction, and p- pan fried dumplings, which I love pan fried dumplings. So I have to agree that with that. That sounds like a meal, though, not a snack. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, and at Tokyo Disney Resort, the um, oh gosh, what did I write here? Uki ramen. Yeah, they're steam buns. Okay, yeah. So I like steam buns. So those are good. Alani, the Mickey Masibi. And the Poke Bowl. We'll have to greet the Poke Bowl. I have to figure out what the Mickey Masibi is. And so, um, and I was just there. I don't remember. Then the next one was the Castle Clash. Why is your castle best? Hong Kong Disneyland. The way it sits amongst the mountains and beautiful sunrises and sunsets. And then they did add 13 towers representing all the Disney princesses. So it does look magnificent. Um, I have to admit. Walt Disney World, they said the castle suite. Of Which course, nobody it, can see. We, you know, I was just going to say that. Of course, <laughs> we'll never see it. But Disneyland, they, I agreed with this one. It's the best because it's Walt Disney's castle. Yes. Well stated. Uh, Disneyland Paris, they just had to say one word, dragon. Dragon. <laughs> and that is true. That dragon in the in the bowels of the castle and the dungeon yeah, ex- is wonderful. It's exceptional. Yeah. And Shanghai, they said it's the largest and most interactive castle, and it's the first to represent all of the Disney princesses. So, and then um, Tokyo Disneyland, they just said it, it's it's a symbol of the resort. Theirs is the same as as the Walt Disney World, the Magic Kingdom Castle. Although I think theirs is a little taller, okay, but not by much. Alani, <laughs> this was so cute. <laughs> the yeah. ambassador built a sand castle on the beach and was laying by it. I thought that was a hoot. He was probably the f- most entertaining in all of he this. He was. He had a lot of charisma. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Then it was coaster combat. Best coaster. Hong Kong Disneyland. The runaway mine cars. I have to agree. That is such a cool attraction. Mm. It's it's um it's not just uh, the Thunder Mountain Railroad, big Thunder Mountain Railroad. There is some twists and turns to it in there and some surprises. Walt Disney World, uh, they had Guardians of the Galaxy, Cosmic Rewind, and the Slinky Dog Dash. I've not been on Cosmic Rewind, so I can't comment on that. I like Slinky Dog Dash. So. I like Slinky Dog, too. At Disneyland, they said Big Thunder Mountain Railroad and the Matterhorn because it's the first tubular coaster. I have to get Matterhorn is my favorite of all Disney roller coasters. So I love that one. And Disneyland Paris, Big Thunder Mountain Railroad because it goes underwater because it's on what we would call Tom Sawyer Island here. So, and that's very cool. 
That is very cool. Yeah. And Shanghai, they said Tron Light Cycle. And since they don't have a lot of coasters there, that is probably their best. So, And then Tokyo Disney Resort Ambassador said Journey to the Center of the Earth, which is, and that's Tokyo Disney Sea. That is a fantastic attraction. And Alani, <laughs> he sang the song Hawaiian Roller Coaster Ride. <laughs> so on his ukulele. That was just cute. So, and then they said, okay, who's the winner? And in true modern fashion, they said, in our hearts, we're all winners. <laughs> right. Everybody <laughs> gets a trophy. Uh huh. That's right. That's right. So that, that was the, it. that was it for the ambassador showdown. Now the next one was weird Disney centennial edition. This is really hard. I stopped taking notes because it's all visual. Yeah, and so I- they, they showed a clip the, from Cat from Outer Space, the original one, which okay. is a delightful film. And then Becky Klein and Brett Iwen came out. And this, oh, and it was Brett Iwen's birthday. So everybody sang him happy birthday and he turned red. So um, it was cute to see. But they talked about, um, I didn't think some of it was weird, but again, it was so visual, you know, weird movies, um, weird you know, weird publicity photos. Um, I don't know. It's, I just don't see how we can really capture that. In no, here. I, although I, I do think it was hilarious when they talked about how somebody at Disney got a whistle from a Cracker Jack box and they started using it for sound effects and they had to write to Cracker Jack and say, can we get all these whistles? And then Cracker Jack said, well, I, we don't have any more or we don't have very many, but they ended mm-hmm. up finding some and sending them to Disney. And I just, you wouldn't think that Crackerback whistle would be a Cracker Jack whistle would be that useful, but yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. But they had um, weird characters was another category, prehysterical alerts or something, weird merchandise, weird food. And then they had weird parks with Tim O'Day. And then um, we all got a little orange chocolate treat. Yeah, that was odd. Yeah, that was, it was tasty. It was. And then we, we had our lunch break. And then, so that was it. So I, I, we apologize. We can't see much about Weird Disney. That is one of those things you have to be there for because it's not an audio experience, really. So for that. And then, so after lunch, the next one was, um, the road to 1923, Walk Goes West. And so the Disneyland ambassadors introduced Don Hahn. And so um, he, he, so he had uh, the road to 1923. Walt goes to, I don't know what I wrote here. I want to say lunch. (laughs) (laughs) West. Yeah, it must be West. So maybe I was still thinking about lunch. Anyway, so he showed a short film about 1923 and it was Walt and Roy telling the story. And it was vintage recordings. And it was from different interviews, how they were putting them together. But there was there was there were recordings of Walt from the 1950s and then Roy from the 1970s. And they pretty much tell the story that we all know about why Walt came out there and because he he um he had he, you know his Laughogram Studios had gone belly up, so he boarded the train at Walt Roy's you know urging came out, rode a first-class train, rode a first-class ticket all the way out. And then he got the, uh, you know, the, through um, 
Margaret Winkler. He got the contract for the Alice comedies and he started, he, then, then he went to Roy and said, I can't do this without you. They started the studio. So it's basically them telling the story in their own words from filmed um, interviews. So is there anything you wanted to add to that, Anita? Just that it was lovingly edited and mm-hmm. there were little anecdotal uh, interruptions by Don Hahn in the course of it where he would clarify something um, it, within the film. Um, and I thought it was great too. It's it's probably my second favorite thing after the Once Upon a Studio because I think that we always need to remind people about that story. And mm-hmm. Don Hahn is, in my mind, one of the most perfect people to do so. And I hope that that wasn't just made for the conference. I mean, he said it was made for us, but I hope that gets some life on a DVD or something because um, it was clean. It was well edited. It was well narrated. um, And it just had his storytelling style that um, makes it very uh, personal. Um, Mm -hmm. And and so I, I liked it a lot. Yeah. Uh, everything Don Hahn creates is wonderful and it has its own little sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Well, except maybe for Maleficent. I don't care for that. <laughs> but otherwise, I think everything else he does is terrific. So, and then out came the Tokyo Disney Resort and Shanghai Ambassadors. And they introduced Kevin Karn and Steve Magnini um, also there. So, and they, uh, and, and it's, I don't know what I wrote after their names, but this one was called Down the Rabbit Hole, the Disney You Didn't Know. And so they, the, um, gosh, oh, dear Lord, I think I wrote in another language here. Oh, DuckTales. Yeah. They DuckTales. say is, ooh, ooh, oh, is, is it ooh, ooh, or woohoo? So um, it's ooh, ooh. Right. In the song DuckTales. So, and then, um, so then Zetus Lafitus was, the spelling is actually C-E-T-U-S-L-U-P-E-E-D-O-S. Right. So, and then Soarin' Over California, you know, everybody wonders, you know, there's that urban legend that Mark, that Michael Eisner was the golfer that hit the golf ball. And um, anyway, they said it wasn't. It was a hired actor. And I know that the golf ball is animated. I'd always heard that. So anyway. And then they said that the he asked, okay, what is the first structure on Epcot's construction site? And I think you guessed it, Anita. It was an outhouse. Oh. Remember, they had no plumbing yes. <laughs> or anything. And it was literally an outhouse that you would see, you know <laughs> – in the days of the hillbillies. I mean, yeah. and, you know, and I have relatives who are hillbillies. And so I say it with affection, <laughs> with affection. So, um, and then they said, um, many of the films open with that classic storybook. And like, they, and like, um, and they showed how in some of the early films, like Snow White, they, there were little clues to the next films that were coming up because the books, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs had opened, but there were other books on the shelves. And it had like some of the books were like Peter Pan and Alice in Wonderland because those were in various states of production, you know, at the time in consideration, at least. And then in um, the tales of Ichabod and Mr. Toad, other books you can see in the background include Daniel Boone and Davy Crockett. 
which would soon, um, of course, become legendary <laughs> in mm-hmm. uh, Disney history. And then they talked about how um, how Walt Disney and Ernest, Ernest Hemingway were born in Chicago. They had many, many similarities. They worked for the Kansas City Star. They drove for the Red Cross so at different times. And so th- they talked a lot about that. And then in 1916, Walt Disney met Walter Pfeiffer. And they um, did a little vaudeville-style act together as boys. And then, and then, so they showed a little clip. Uh, they showed a photo of them dressed up. And everybody attributes attributed it to Walt Disney because he would dress up as Abraham Lincoln on, on the president's birthday and go from classroom to classroom doing his doing a little the speech you know a, an impersonation of abraham lincoln but no that fil- that clip that photo is really from their little vaudeville act hmm. so anyway and then they they and then in 1965 they um had audio of walt talking about mr lincoln and the elements that would ultimately end up in the american adventure 17 years later so Walt was already thinking ahead, and he did already he did want to have a Hall of Presidents at Disneyland in the in the Liberty Square um, area that would have been off of um, off of um, Main Street. So, mm-hmm. but um, it w- would have been, but they didn't have the technology for it, and he didn't just want wax figures with recordings. So, and then the day that Walt received the Presidential Medal of Freedom in September 1964, um, there has always been this back and forth. Walt was not a fan of President Lyndon Johnson, who was awarding this to him. He, and so there was always a thing, did he wear a gold water for President lapel pin and i've heard two different stories i've heard it from diane disney miller you know one version there's so there's all kinds that he did he didn't or that it was on the back of his suit lapel so that you couldn't really see it but then supposedly while flashed it at some point and anyway so there's all kinds of stories well they went into the abc tv news archives and they found the footage and of Walt receiving the Medal of Honor, which is really cool. Yeah. Sure enough, there's a little pin on his lapel. <laughs> so there we go. Um, John Steinbeck also um, received the honor on that same day, as long as other people. But it did. They say it proved that Walt wore a Barry Goldwater pin. I couldn't see it. It was so grainy, and Walt was moving. I didn't know what kind of a pin it was. So what did Diane Disney say? Did she say he didn't? <laughs> No, she thought she said okay, that he wouldn't be that disrespectful to the president, but she believed he, it was on the inside of his lapel. Okay, it was so. pretty tiny. I don't know if he would have even noticed it. Yeah, yeah. So he must and have really the- not like Johnson, though. <laughs> no, he did not. So. Anyway, and then Disney lost and found. They talked about, and then they um. I wrote the island Isle of Nambu Boo Boo, and then <laughs> Annette and the Mystery at Moonbeam Bay. Why did I write these things down? But these these were books, right? Yeah, I I think the Annette book is because I think I have it. Yeah, yeah. And then they talked, and then of course Isle of Nambu is is bed knobs and broomsticks. It's a, it's a part of that. And then they said in Winnie the Pooh, 
Um, they use some of the same furniture and props that were used in Mary Poppins and uh, including, and also including the toy stories um, from Babes in Toyland. And it was for when, you know, when Winnie the Pooh's shorts open, mm-hmm. they open at Christopher Robin's bedroom. It looks remarkably like the Banks children bedroom <laughs> in that. And then, um, then I have Les Perkins and he, and he was saying, um, he was, oh, in Mary Poppins, he, uh, he sang the cow and he was also one of the choreographers. They're talking about how in, in that scene, the, the jolly holiday scene, um, they had all kinds of people voicing these characters. David Tomlinson did, Robert Sherman, Peter Ellenshaw. Um, he voiced the penguins. Um, the parrots were voiced by, um, David, David Thomason, something. So what I jotted down here. So, and then, um, and then Jane Darwell, you know, the, the bird lady, because mm-hmm. Walt had brought her out of retirement. And, and I've, t- I told the story years ago on the show, how he, you know, he personally invited her to be, because he had heard she was on hard times. She was in the Hollywood actors, um, I think retirement home. Mm-hmm. And, um, Walt personally sent her the script. Walt talked to her about how much he wanted her on the show. He treated her like a queen. He treated her like she was the top star in Hollywood. He had a limo sent for her every day that she was filming. Well, the thing is, is that she was not well. And so they couldn't, when you know when she says "feed the birds, tuppence a bag," that's not her voice because it she was too weak to record it. So it was dubbed by Bill Walsh. Mm. That's his okay. voice. So it's interesting. And then she died shortly after that. So I just I always thought that was a lovely story that Walt really made her feel like the Hollywood star she had been at one time. Mm-hmm. And they say she talked it up you know, with her friends yeah. at the retirement home. And she was just so honored. I think he sent her flowers. I mean, he did all kinds of stuff. So it, it's a really lovely story. Okay, then Pirates of the Caribbean, they showed some 1960 um, press photos of Walt Disney with pirate heads. And um, anyway, and they said it's usually, you see, and, and this is one that you see before. I mean, they even had it in the archives exhibit. They had the photo. But they say usually you see the black and white photo of it. They found the color photos and audios of it. And it was from a, a February 2nd, 1966 press event. So they showed us a bit of that. And that was cool. And then they talked about how there are lots of um, avian mascots and, um, you know, and then they talked about mascots, like the birds for the, the um, there's birds. It's a PGA mascot. Um, the mighty, um, Durko mascot, um, Captain Cracker, which was the mascot of, um, Treasure Island when it was, um, before, you know, and it later became called Discovery Island out in the middle of the lagoon there in, in um, Walt Disney World. Then they showed early sketches of the Florida orange bird. So they showed all these sketches of these different mascots they developed for Disney, as well as other entities, other companies. And then um, 
Let's see. And then they showed uh, Don's Fountain of Youth from 1951. Donald's Fountain of Youth, 1951, where Donald and his nephews visited Florida, They, which is a little promo thing. They, of course, showed uh, a Donald Duck orange juice can. And they said that started in the 1940s. We used to have that out in California when I was a kid, but I don't think it's, I don't think it's in California anymore. I think it must just be Florida at this point. I remember they had it in the DC area when I was growing up too, but so many, but most people don't drink concentrated orange juice anymore. No. And that, you know, so I don't, I, it may still be in the freezer section. I haven't looked. Yeah. I know in our freezer section, a lot of our stores, there's not any concentrate juice yeah. anymore. But yeah, when I was a kid, when I was a little boy, mom made that Minute made orange mm-hmm. juice from concentrate. And we did for our children for a long yeah. time. And then they talked about, Captain Citrus. It was in three comic books that they created, and it, and it was to promote Florida orange juice. So they showed, you know, what the books look like, and they gave a set of of these comics to five guests, people attending. I guess they got an email, so I don't know. Um, I I, I sometimes question if they have my email or not. <laughs> And then they talked about Ollie Gator. Now, he was designed by um, the Walt Disney Company for Florida for the tourism board in the 1970s. And his wife was Molly Gator. So, and I they were they little should, gator kids, too. I think they should bring them back just like they brought back Orange Bird. I agree. They were cute. <laughs> they were. They were. And I don't think they ate people. No. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe it's a little touchy, but. <laughs> oh. And then they talked about music and how um, the earliest um, the earliest surviving composition is in Greek, and it's called the Sikilias S E I K I L A S epitaph epitaph, and it was in the first to second century. And in 1982, they used the first notes of this for Epcot Center's opening. And and they used it in We've Just Begun to Dream for a decade in that song. So that's well, interesting. There's, there's nobody that can sue them for copyright infringement. No, no, not at all. So, And then they said when Steamboat Willie was released, it was on the same bill with Gang Wars. Yes. <laughs> and, and that's now a lost film, but it was a gangster film. And it had this song by Al Sherman, who was the father of the Sherman Brothers. So all these Disney connections. Then their next theme was sort of escape to paradise. And they talk about like the Disneyland episode promoting um, Swiss family Robinson. And they said how the Swiss family Robinson, you know, Calypso was written by the Sherman brothers and it was, um, and, and they played it and then it was reused for the Tiki room song. And then they played that and you could hear, definitely hear the similarities mm-hmm. between it. And then um, the the Sherman brothers, they wrote um, Lost to the North, Norse Winds. And it was written by, but never used for um, a Disney project. And then they found a song by the Sherman brothers called Fjords of Norway for Maelstrom. And then they, um, and it's, it's the same song, basically. But then they brought out Becky Klein, who, as a descendant of a Viking warrior, and then the three of them sang the song. And I thought that was cute. 
So well, she had her little. Them, uh-huh. Yeah, but didn't they start to have all the other? They had a chorus come in that represented the people that were on the original Maelstrom ride. Like there was a, a oil rig worker that came out yes. and a nurse uh-huh. and yeah. Yes. Yes. And yeah, they had a Viking village uh, of yeah. the a fleet. They had, um, they had, oh gosh, they had um, music for the second and third scenes. They played the Harbor um, miniature finale. And then they brought out um, people dressed as the cast. Yeah. For fjords of Norway. And that was really, really hilarious. <laughs> so, and then Becky, Becky Klein is a good singer. She is. She is. I was very <laughs> impressed. Yeah. And she looks good as a Viking warrior. <laughs> so, and then Becky gave Kevin Kern um, his tenure and um, service award, which was very nice. So, And then they had um, a, all, about, all About the Orange Bird, and it was um, by Jason Grant. And I wrote Disney something after that. I don't know what it was. And then, anyway, then they talked about 100 Years of Creativity, and it was a playful look at Disney imagination. And that is the next segment. So anything more about Down the Rabbit Hole? My dad, did I leave anything out? Because I couldn't read some of my writing. No, I think you had everything that, that I managed to write down, too. I, no, it was fun. I mean, those are those are fun, and they're interesting. Um, nothing life-changing, but they, you know, they, they are little factoids that you pick up along the way that, you know, some will stay with you and some won't, but it was yeah. enjoyable. Yeah, I agree. So then the next segment, like I said, is 100 Years of Creativity, a playful look at Disney imagination. And they said how creativity is what the company is built on. So they had one fun, um, you know, some sort of playful thing from each decade. And they work backwards. So in the and and so in the twenty twenties it was Avatar and they said every pixel pixel is designed by an artist and they said you know look at the details and then they talked about World of Pandora brought the film to life um, with the floating mountains you know they said what needs to be in this land what were the key elements from the film so they talked about the floating mountains the bioluminescence um, the shaman of song. And then they talk even like the thatched roofing of the attractions. It's all from the films. Of course, we haven't seen the Shaman of Song yet. I don't think have we? <laughs> so, I don't. But think I so. was told it would be in. It was in one of the films. Okay, twenty tens. They said was the decade of Star Wars. The, the Star Wars comic books. They said it was the best Star Wars stories. And um, they talked about Doctor. Afra and the, the Lando stories, especially. Mm-hmm. They said we're good. And then they talked about Galaxy's Edge. They wanted it to be an inspirational place rather than something directly from the films in there. And that's probably one of the things people criticize it for. <laughs> so, anyway, the 2000s, they said it was the, uh, it was the decade of Pixar. So they talk about ratatouille, the food styling is creative. And then, um, but they especially like the short, Your Friend the Rat, because it had 12 styles of animation in it. I know that's on the DVD for it. And then they then, for the attraction, they brought in the architecture from the film to be in the attraction. 
The 1990s was the renaissance of animation and also the Disney afternoon. And Michael Eisner dubbed it the Disney decade. So this was, they said it was a exciting time for Imagineers and, and the team Disney, Disney building style. Cause Michael Eisner was so much into this sort of googie architecture kind of thing. <laughs> so anyway. And in the 1980s is Epcot with Dreamfinder and Figment. And they said Figment is now meeting guests. Figment, um, oh, there's a Figment little golden book coming out in January. And they showed us the cover. And they showed some sketches from the book. Have you heard on our, um, you know, when we talked about our experience with Figment <laughs> last week. Did you hear when on the day he, um, I think it was the first day he came out. At Epcot, he tripped twice. Oh my gosh, I didn't know yeah, that. And he had to be helped up. Oh, somebody caught it on on their phone. Oh, of course they did. So, so it's out there. Yeah, that's because he was tired from dancing the night before. Probably if they had just left him to stand. He wouldn't have tripped. That's right. He could have had a relaxing time meeting the last few guests. And so he's probably still dizzy from all that dancing he did. So. Anyway, they said uh, 1970s was the wild decade of screwball comedies. And they talked about the um, the Medfield uh, sort of cinematic universe in there with Dexter Riley trilogy featuring Kurt Russell, like the computer wore tennis shoes and all that. And then we all got a Medfield computer club button. And I heard sort of I- fun. I saw some people on the social media D23 groups who have no idea about what any of that is. They were like, yeah, we got some stupid like computer pin. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> so. When I, when I um, would have to create training things and all of that, I would use Medfield a lot <laughs> as like a name of a city or a location in, in what in training materials I was creating for a job I have. So anyway. And I don't know if anybody ever gets it, so. but it's fun to do it. And they talk about the strongest man in the world, and there's tributes to the films in Journey into the Imagination Attraction. When you first ride through, you see you know the, all the names on the doors, and then there's little props related to those characters from these films. See, I would say if you haven't watched these films, you should go back. They're just fun. It, they're silly fun they're nothing that's going to change your life but they're great popcorn movies sit down with your friends or the kids and just enjoy them and laugh mm-hmm. and all that and in in one of them you'll even see Walt Disney's plane as we talked about a few segments back the 1960s was the decade of stop motion so they showed the Noah's Ark short that they did and and also, the opening credits for The Misadventures of Merlin Jones and The Parent Trap used stop motion in there. And, and they're very well done. 1950s was the decade of creativity. They talked about Mars and Beyond, those um, Tomorrowland featurettes for uh, you know Walt Disney's Disneyland television show. There, two of them are on Disney+. Plus. We talked about their history... I don't know, a year or two ago, I think about the making of, the, of that series. And then they said Ward Kimball's creative alien designs and concepts for life on Mars. They said, we're just, you know, it's just so wacky, but you know, nobody knew what was up there. So, um, so they showed some, some of the clips 
from this and Ward Kimball's creations are in the Sci-Fi Diner at Disney Hollywood Studios. You can watch them on the silver screen there. 1940s, Saludos Amigos. It came out before The Three Caballeros, and it was the introduction of Jose Carioca. And they said how it was a beautiful and clever piece of animation, and they still reference it today. And it's now, you know, now you can see them at Epcot, the Three Caballeros at Epcot's Mexican Pavilion on the Grand Fiesta Tour attraction. Enjoy it now because, you know, it's only a matter of time before that becomes a Coco <laughs> attraction. So, so, In the 1930s is, was the decade of technology. And they talked especially about the silly symphonies where – you, you know, the, that's where the animators and the artists really spread their ring, wings, told stories, a lot of times without any dialogue. Uh, they just told the stories through music and that character animation. They developed new technologies for the shorts. And all of this would then end up in the feature films. And so they said, especially like the dancing skeletons in the skeleton dance, and he showed a, a clip from it, which I always thought was a weird clip where they – he plays the xylophone on the back of another right. another skeleton. In the 1920s, Walt and Roy. It is a decade of Walt and Roy. If it was not for the two of them, none of this would be possible. So that was a, that was a good way, I think, to sort of wrap up the panels in there. I agree. I liked how they linked whatever they chose as their kind of icon for the decade and then found some connection to the parks at least they did in most of the cases Mm -hmm. so that that that's a good synergy there yeah yeah and it's nice they ended it with where it all began walt and roy so so and then it finally it was to see you real soon a fan f-a-n in capital letters dash tastic finale and so this was a salute to Disney's first century. And Michael Vargo, the head of D23, came out and sort of wrapped things up. Michael James Scott came out and he sang, You've Never Had a Friend Like Me. And then Disney legend Jody Benson came out and sang Part of Your World. And then the Hercules Muses, who were probably one of my favorite things in all of this, they came back out and along with a gospel choir and sang A Star is Born. And that was the end of the panel. So did you think that was a good way to wrap up? Yes, I did. It didn't go on too long. And and for someone like me who's never heard Jody Benson live, that was pretty thrilling. Mm-hmm. Um, but all the talent was top notch. So mm-hmm. I thought it was, you know, three songs, bring, keep, bringing back the people that had been singing to us or had been on stage Um you know, at different times during the weekend and, and then, you know, see you guys later for the Halloween party. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I thought it was good. Yeah. And then something I normally skip is the, uh, you know, after the dinner break is the Hallow is, is the costume party. It was a pajama party a couple years ago. There was no way I was going to that. And then, <laughs> but seven to 9 PM was the Hallow stream costume bash. And what got us there Okay, Nita, you want to share what what convinced us to go to this? More free stuff from Lug. <laughs> That's <laughs> they right. Had these, they had these pumpkin bags, which I guess could be used for trick-or-treating, or you could mm-hmm. fill it up with something and use it as a decoration. And so we had to make an appearance. 
It was cool. These are cool. And they had two different styles. It, one was all orange. I saw you'd gotten one of those. Yeah. I got the, it was a, it's a darker orange and it has a, like a, a brown rim along the top. And these are, are cloth and they have handles. They're wonderful bags. I don't know what I'll use mine for, but maybe for a decoration, put one of my yeah. popcorn buckets speaking out of the top of it or something. But, um, I thought, again, those are not inexpensive, those things. So that was really nice. And it was sort of what you expected. There was music. There were long lines to meet Mickey and Minnie, but we did not get in them because we were not going to get burned (laughs) again, like we did with Figment the night before. I think it was Mickey and Minnie. I think it was Mickey, and I think it was, um, was it Oogie Boogie? I don't remember. I don't know. Yeah, I, 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 no, Mickey was there, but um, I'm not sure. There were two of them, and they were they were too long, and we were too tired. Um, and they had cookies, and they mm-hmm. had um, I think did they have a craft that people were working on, like a yes, painting yeah, thing people or something? were doing something. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't like have decorating. that much energy at, at the end of the the weekend, but um, so we were there. What all of like 15 minutes. <laughs> Seemed longer. <laughs> Maybe we were there half an we hour. We wandered around. I don't know. Oh, they had little photo ops, I think. Yes. And and, and things like that. So I think we went and checked those out. But I don't know. I had some cookies. <laughs> and that was it. I left. So anyway. So overall, what did you think of D- Destination D23 2023? Um, I have no reason to complain. I thought it was... I thought the giveaways were of high value. I thought, yes, yeah. I mean, you know, (laughs) give given what you pay. Um, I thought the merchandise was, you know, good um, and and plenty of it. Um, And I thought the sessions. I mean, you know, some are soft, some are a little bit more um, substantial. But I, you know, I enjoyed it. It made me feel good about being a Disney fan. Um, I think it Mm -hmm. fed fed the right things, and um, I would definitely plan to go again in two years. Yeah, I definitely would as well. I I really I enjoyed it. You know, it had its bumps in the road, but overall I I enjoyed it. And then out in the lobby, I've been slowly posting some of them. They had um a lot of photo ops that you could um take p- your pictures with Figment with the um the cast from Lion King, the hyenas and I think was it Scar or Simba? I can't remember who else was there. It was it was Pumbaa. And the that's hyenas. right. That's and right. They had uh, Tiny, and they had Captain America's shield, and they had the Cheshire Cat, Donald Figment. We finally got a picture with Figment, <laughs> and they had the shop or the Disney store stuffed animal display, which was yeah, kind that, of fun. That was funny. Um, yeah, yeah. So it was, it was, it was nice. And um, you know, they, I think they never were crowded. You could always get in there to get a picture. You know that I don't know if there was never a line for any of those. So. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I thought I thought it was well decorated. I I thought in our case we were lucky enough to get a room at the Contemporary, and that made it really convenient. <laughs> and yeah. I, I, I kind of spoiled us, but hopefully, um, you know, that can happen again. I mean, the the chaos is getting a ticket to the thing in the first place. Yeah, was so yes, crazy, absolutely. And so, you know, I say I want to go in two years, but I mean, it all depends on what what spot you get in the the line, you know, mm-hmm. and, and stuff. But and well, the thing is on my devices, I'm in this, cause like I have like three, four devices running and they all move at different paces, mm-hmm. you know, which really yeah. drives me nuts. And so, um, but anyway, so I don't understand how that works, but 
Right. But anyway, but oh well. But yes, overall, it was a fun event. I hope that you enjoyed our uh, sort of taking you there, you know, virtually. And maybe we'll see you at the next D23 2025 Expo, <laughs> wow. Destination D23 2025. Oh my gosh. But now it's time for this week in Disney history. All right, Anita, would you like to go first this time, or shall I? Or what, what would you like? Um, yeah. I can go first, sure. Okay. Um, so I picked September 23rd, 1984. And that is the day that Michael Eisner and Frank Wells became chairman and president um, of Walt Disney, uh, the Walt Disney Company, respective, respectively. And I picked it because... It's an important milestone in Disney history. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we know that that had that not happened, the company might not have even survived, but it, it who knows what would have happened. It was in the, in the process of being raided for takeover. And Eisner, you know, there's a lot of things that he did right, and there's a lot of things he did wrong. Um, but if you look at some of the trajectories of things as Disney today, it's stuff that he put in place. I mean, I'll the live action, the the um, range of movies from family movies to uh, more audiences for uh, you know movies that are have a more adult rating. Um, the way he branded Disney on every single thing, you know, sheets and toys and kitchen products. That all kind of started then the home video market, which, despite the decline in home video sales for a lot of a lot of things, Disney still is cranking out home 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 video products. Um, and then the growth that we see at the at Walt Disney World and the other parks, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think you know you just have to look at you know, the, the tr- some of the trend lines, the the sequels. You know, that's not one of the best things, but and then the overextension of the company that we see now, the amount of debt that they carry, the amount of um, you know uh, struggling in some ways because they've almost overextended themselves with some of their acquisitions, and then some of the theme park atrophy that we are promised in this conference is going to be reversed. But some of that started under Michael Eisner too. But in any case, it's certainly a milestone. He was a CEO for a long time. And um, the first half was really good. Second half, maybe not as much, but it's worth noting it for Disney history for Mm -hmm. sure. Oh, absolutely. I think after Frank Wells passed, that was, we started to see, there was nobody to keep Michael Eisner in check kind of thing. So I think that's when when things started to go south for him. Well, I picked another milestone, September 26th, 1953. This is when Walt Disney phoned artist Herb Ryman at his home Saturday morning, say, hey, what you doing today? (laughs) (laughs) And it asked him to come over to the park or to the studio. And he then described to Herb Ryman, uh, you know, this idea he had for this park and Herb Ryman said wow that's fantastic I would really like to see that and Walt Disney said well Herbie you're you're going to draw it (laughs) because Walt's brother Roy was leaving for New York on Monday to promote the park and meet with possible investors and Roy said I need something to show them and so now, Herb was not a Disney employee at this time. So he, you know, 
you know, and, and Walt was waiting for him out in front of the studio when he drove up and, you know, Herb says, I, I can't draw this. This is, you know, way too much to do in a weekend. And, and Walt, you know, Herb Ryman recanted years later how Walt just pleaded with him and actually had tears in his eyes that he was the only one that could do this. And Herb Ryman said, fine, but you are going to be with me and describe this to me as, you know, as I draw it. And Walt did. They said they, they had, uh, they lived on black coffee and tuna fish sandwiches and Walt stood at his shoulder and basically under Walt's guidance, he drew that first concept of Disneyland, much of which got built. And then, and also then not only that, but then he built more detail or drew more detailed sketches of some of the realms of Disneyland, some of the proposed attractions and all of that. And, um, and so this lost weekend, as it's called, it, they defined the look of Disneyland, Walt and Herb Ryman. And, uh, and it, Roy was successful. He did get some investors. And so Ryman would, would go on to be a master artist, a teacher. He would become an Imagineer. He would have a career more of more than 50 years as a production designer, an art director, and an illustrator at many of the top Hollywood studios, including Disney. So, um, so if it wasn't for her being available that weekend, <laughs> you know, we might not have had Disneyland as soon as we, uh, we got it. <laughs> and so. I looked at that date and I said, I hope Michael picks that date because it's a great, it's a great one as well. And yeah. uh, I thought there were a lot of important dates in this coming week, a lot of milestone dates yes, and all that events. So, well, one of the things that we also did was we went to Mickey's not so scary Halloween party and might remember, you know, a couple of years ago when they had the sort of post COVID one, I did not. Yeah, I did not care for it. And it rained the whole time, practically. I lost (laughs) my umbrella. You know, there was all kinds of stuff going on. And folks know I don't care for the Oogie Boogie Bash at Disney California Adventure. So I was excited that this, the, the full party came back. And for me, it did not disappoint. I had, no, I, I liked it too. Yeah, I was with you and Chris, and I had so much fun at it. You know, it was, um, first of all, just they know how to set the right mood at night with the lighting and fog and all of this stuff. And um, it was fun. So, you know, we saw the parade, which was excellent. We saw the, um, I'm trying to look, I have my little brochure here. We we saw the so we saw the parade, Mickey's Booty You Parade. A lot of fun. The song just once you get it in your head, you have it there the whole night because you hear it about a thousand times. <laughs> and then we saw the Hocus Pocus Villain Spectacular. I thought it was fun. So where it's a wickedly fun celebration hosted by the Sanderson sisters. So uh, it was cute. They've had yeah, other, you know. It was. And it's a typical Disney castle show where, you know, you, you have your hosts, and in this case, it's the Sanderson sisters. And then in order to create their evil, they bring out a number of the other Disney villains who all have their songs and 
and and all that and um it, it's terrific just fun you know again it sets the right mood and then then for me i'm a sucker for fireworks shows now disney's not so spooky spectacular and again that it was fun it was terrific again it, it was perfect for that night I agree. It's, it was yeah. a great fireworks show. I, all those shows that you mentioned there were were really well done, and um, and it wasn't. It was crowded, but it wasn't oppressively crowded in the hub. You know, it was manageable. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, we didn't I have thought to... I thought it was, but they're letting more guests in because remember, one of it used to be at these yes. events you could walk on the attractions. These trans the tra- the. The attractions had wait times like during the day, 40 minutes, 50 minutes. And I thought that's lousy, you know. And I have seen people on social media complaining about that, um, especially if that's what their kids really wanted to do, that Mm -hmm. they had to wait. Um, And, and, you know, when it's only a few hours, you know, you go on a couple of attractions, that's most of your night, you know. And then, and then we did go through some of the trick or treat lanes, and those were fine. They were giving out candy with scoopers. Yeah, it was generous, mm-hmm. and it didn't take too long. Most of the lines moved quickly, and um, and we were able to get a picture with the seven dwarfs, which yes. for me was a first. So that was that mm-hmm. was great. And um, of course, by the time we got there, we had a we were able to use a disability pass for my husband. But by the time we got there. There wasn't much of a wait, but my understanding is the big wait this year was for Jack and Sally at Town Hall, mm-hmm. um, which which apparently has had up to three or four hour waits. So people have sometimes wasted their whole party, which I would I would never do. Um, and then of course we got to ride the haunted mansion um, right at the that end was of our the party. Last <laughs> that was great. Wasn't yeah. for the. I don't know if we would have gotten on if it wasn't for the disability pass. I don't think so. But, we were it was it was too far from where we were. Um, but I mean, I think when we had talked about what our goals are, and I think that that's what you have to do when you go to one of these is what are, what are you looking for out of the party? What are we looking for out of the party? And mostly they overlapped. And so we were able to prioritize um, mm-hmm. and, and stay focused on, on those things. We even found time to eat, which we hadn't planned to do. But your circumstances before the party was that you were coming from another park and hadn't really had dinner. And we, we had had a big breakfast, but didn't have dinner. So we, we did take about 20 minutes to have a, a quick bite um, over in fantasy land and still got, you know, everything that we wanted to do, we got done. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are things we didn't do, but they were not on the priority list. And the reality is, even though you have five or six hours, it's a lot because those shows take up about an hour and a half to two hours by the time you get positioned for them and um and sit down to to experience them you're you're kind of in the hub for a couple hours yeah and i agree with you you do have to go in with the plan and for me you know it was seeing the three special events so you know the the Mm -hmm. castle show the parade and the fireworks and riding haunted mansion Mm -hmm. those are like my big things and everything else was, you know, icing on the cake kind of thing. I did get my Mickey's locomotive um, popcorn bucket too. <laughs> and earlier in the day, I had gotten um, the Donald Duck sipper where he's in the candy corn outfit. I got. That. I didn't realize they have a Mickey as a skeleton. I would have liked to get that one, but I yeah. I didn't realize that till after. 
I think I have two versions of that one. Oh, really? <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. So, and I think there was a mini dressed as one of the Sanderson sisters, a sipper, but I think that oh. might have come out later. I'm not sure. So, the, oh, um, and I got the Oogie Boogie, um, the mayor's car. I got that yes. popcorn bucket there too. Oh, you got two so popcorn at buckets at the party? I got or? one earlier and then oh, we st- okay. I was looking for the Mr. Toad. Yes. A car popcorn bucket. That- Didn't see that. But then we saw some people with the, uh, with the Nightmare Before Christmas. Right. Um, one. And so I got that. I think I got the, the locomotive. I might have gotten at Disneyland. Okay. Because I've been to Disneyland just a short time before. So. And the Hocus Pocus show is very, had a lot of similarities in some of the elements to, a show that they used to do at the castle during um, when they were doing the villains after hours, mm-hmm. which I went to right before COVID. And that was the same kind of thing um, without the Sanderson sisters, but they had the villains coming out and trying to kind of one up each other on their villainy and, you know, um, kind of show off their powers. So, and some of the dances looked similar, but you know, that's okay. Cause I don't know how many people actually ever got to see the villains after hours because COVID came along. So, but it, it was good to see some of the same things come back out. And, and, and um, I thought it was a good show. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. So, and we also had dinner at the grand Californian cafe, which is one grand of my Floridian. favorite grand Floridian. <laughs> sorry. And I have that written down here. Grand Floridian. I still say grand California. You're just too Disneyland. <laughs> I know. I know. So, but we ate there and this was always one of our favorite places for me and Carol. I loved, we both loved the lobster Thermidor burger, which mm. is no longer on the menu, which is just yeah. basically it's, it's a burger with a slab of lobster on it. That would really, really good. <laughs> so um, I had the pork shank. And and then did we get appetizers? I don't remember. Um, I don't remember either. I don't. I don't, I don't think, think so. I don't think we did. I think we were. Yeah. Okay. We and then you guys got a steak. Yeah, we had. A, well, I got um, what was called a, a side salad, but it was a salad with apples and walnuts, and it was good, but it was huge. And then my husband and I shared a um, a steak with fries. And it was well prepared. Uh, we couldn't finish it because we. I think he had a salad too that was kind of big. Um, but yeah, it was good food, nice atmosphere, good good service. Um, you know, and the, I think the the Grand Floridian lobby still looks really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and so that was kind of nice to have to walk through there uh, on the way to the restaurant. Yeah. yeah, the pork shank was fantastic. The meat just came right off it. It was so tender. I couldn't finish it because it was so much food. And along with the, you know, what came with it, um, it was like on a bed of rice or it's on a bed of something. And it was excellent. I would get it again. It looked Definitely. really good. Yeah. You know, the other yeah. place we went to that we didn't mention was on Thursday night, we went to uh, Art Smith's Homecoming. That's uh, right. At Disney Springs. And we all got fried chicken and we all loved it. <laughs> yep. Yep. So we did get a couple of appetizers there. I got, I ordered the deviled eggs. And I think we ordered the hush puppies. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that was good. I was, in fact, I couldn't finish my meal. So I had it for, was it breakfast or <laughs> so. dinner on another night? I don't remember, but I ate it and, uh, oh my gosh, it was just, it, it the microwave did it justice. It, it, it heated well. I like they those little you- sweet pickles they give you too, those sliced yeah. pickles. Those are good. 
And they give so. you three big pieces of chicken. So. Yeah, it's huge, huge. I couldn't imagine though, getting the one with the donuts. Get two pieces yeah, of chicken and a donut. Yeah. Sonny, is that like, I get, is it like chicken and waffles? Is it their version? I don't know. I mean, I guess it's the idea of the salty sweet thing, you know, yeah. back and forth. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, I don't, I'm not that risky for that. So yeah. Now I, I was at Animal Kingdom before the Halloween party. And I, because Animal Kingdom is my favorite park, so I hung out there. And then I did a new experience. I love the tours, you know, the backstage tours at the different parks. And I've done a couple at Animal Kingdom, but this one was one I had not done. I heard good things about. And it's caring for giants. And it's learning all about the elephants at Animal Kingdom and elephants in general. And so what they do is they take you behind you know backstage they you go backstage we're not allowed to take any photos we go backstage and then we get into a little mini bus and then they drive us way out you really get a feel for how big this park is because we were driving along the edge of the um of the safari it's huge and so uh, and then we parked and then we went up some little steps and all that. And then we were in the backstage area right behind you. We could see all the, the safari vehicles going by, but we were sort of hidden a little because they're, you know, they have some rocks where the elephants are and all that. So there are elephants walking back there as well. They have five acres to roam on. And so we saw over on the side, and these guys were not on stage. They were too young. Um, male bull elephants who were sort of sparring with each other because one was a little smaller than the other. And so the, so the taller one was trying to exert his dominance and they were doing it in a playful way, but then the little one had enough. And suddenly he, he started moving forward and all that. And then there's an older male bull elephant who was actually on stage. He was sort of by himself, but they will bring him in to interact with the younger ones so that they understand, okay, what is it, you know, how to be a good male elephant. And he puts them in their place apparently. And then, so we just learned a whole lot uh, about the elephants and this, um, and, and this tour, all the proceeds go to protecting the elephants out in Africa, mainly by building those, those beehives that are buzz because elephants are afraid of bees. So they build these bees. And, and they, the problem is the elephants in Africa were destroying farms mm. and all that. And so they learned, and this was through a, a study that Disney initiated, is that they learned that elephants were afraid of bees. And so all the proceeds from this go to building these beehives that they put all along the perimeter of farms. And now it's keeping the elephants away from the farms so that because they were getting killed because Mm. they were encroaching on humanity, even though humanity had encroached on them. (laughs) Right. And, uh, and so that, so that was interesting. There were a couple of female elephants that came back there and they were just playing and they were being very affectionate with each other and, and things like that. But we learned about their feeding habits and, and things. And then there is an elephant that is pregnant. And she wandered back there and she, uh, and she, they expect her, they expect the baby to be born at the end of the year. 
an elephant's gestation period is two years. So they're going to go on baby watch with her in October because they said anywhere between October and the end of the year, the baby could be born. Hmm. So, and they, they don't know if it's a boy or a girl because the um, ultrasounds can't penetrate their hide. How close were you able to get to them? You're you're not super duper close, but you're closer than you are on the safari, unless they walk in front of your your truck. So, right. um, but it was still just really cool to hear that and see them see them interact in a way that we could take our time because it was an hour, so we could take our time and really watch them and take photos and and all that. So it was a wonderful learning experience. So I highly recommend this. You don't get a pin or anything like you do on some of the other tours. What we got is our name tags was made. They were made out of recycled elephant poop. So oh, we, we okay. got to save those. <laughs> yeah. They make paper out of it apparently. So we were thing, given those. <laughs> can you say the thing you told us about the fireworks? Oh the yes. Thank you. One of the things is, you know, the reason they don't have fireworks at, uh, uh, at um, Animal Kingdom is because they disturb the animals. But the thing is, elephants can hear and feel vibrations for 40 to 50 miles away. And so what they have to do when there is a new fireworks show, they they test the hormones, they track the hormones of the elephants. And if they see them go up, you know, the, the, the stress hormones, then they work with the park people at altering the fireworks show and they said that when you see the one you know how you always see one lone firework go up before the show and everybody thinks they're testing the weather they're testing the elephant's hormone level stress level (laughs) at that time and if it goes up really high could be that the show is then canceled and you might recall, because people really are upset by this, how they had that Star Wars fireworks laser show at Disney Hollywood Studios, and it ended after two months. It was because it was stressing out the elephants so much. Mm-hmm. They realized they can't have fireworks at mm-hmm. Disney Hollywood Studios. So that's why they have the projections and the laser shows and things like that there. So it, I thought it showed how much they really care about the elephants, mm-hmm. you know, including entertainment and all of that. They, you know, they, they will take care of the animals. They are the top priority. So I'm glad you reminded me of that story. So um, anyway, so, and there were other stories too, but I, uh, but that was a fascinating one. Mm-hmm. So, so definitely I recommend caring for giants. If you go on it, let me know what you think out there. I also mentioned last week, I used Genie Plus for the very first time. I had never used Genie Plus before. I was adamantly opposed to it. But I thought it was really something Mary Jo told me because she does use it. And she said it's because if she's in there and she's like taking her father as somebody, they have a limited amount of time. And so Genie Plus gets the one everything. And I thought of that because I was only going to be at the Magic Kingdom and Animal Kingdom, just, you know, just for a short time. And those were really the only parks I was going to. Then we learned about the Epcot event. And um, so I used it. And you know what? It, it only, it cost me $20 at Magic Kingdom, $15 at Animal Kingdom. I got on everything I wanted to. 
Um, it worked amazingly well. Once I learned one or two of the little tricks about it, about, you know, you want to, you want to post, you want to, you want to book times as close to the time you're currently in. Cause if mm-hmm. you book a later time, you can't book anything else. So I really learned how to do things back to back. And, um, I got on everything I wanted to see and then had time to spare. That's great. To, to go on other stuff. So I, that's why I said last week I felt clean and dirty at the same time. <laughs> but, well, sounds like the price was right. <laughs> it was. It was. At Disneyland, I think it's significantly more. I think they charge like $20 more for it. But, you know, I might be a convert. And I hate it. I just hate <laughs> that Disney is making us do this. I really do. So I think the only thing I didn't go on was the Jungle Cruise because the times were too late mm. by the time I did everything else. Yeah. So um, it's because I had to get over to whatever we had going on. So um, so that's my feeling of Genie Plus. And, you know, yeah, for me, 20 bucks is fine. I'm one person. There's a family of four. Like right. if me, Carol, and the children were going, and then, you know, that's $80. That that's a significant impact on a family's budget, you know? So that's, that's why I, I hate it, you know, too. I just wish they'd get rid of all of that. Let's get back into the lines the way we used to. They move much faster. When, when I was at Disneyland right after COVID and they didn't introduce the fast passes weren't brought back. None of that stuff was brought back. We just had to wait in lines. It went so fast. Mm-hmm. And the park just didn't seem that crowded. And so that's why, you know, Genie Plus to me is just a money grab. And they artificially make the standby lines longer. Mm-hmm. So um, anyway. So, Michael, you- did you mm-hmm. – I have not used it, no. Um, I, I've never used it. Um, I've used it at non-Disney parks, the equivalent of it, where you kind of buy the pass that allows you to – Get like on all front the of the line th- pass. Or yeah, something. all yeah. the thrill. You know, it's like the the fast line. You know, for all the roller coasters for the day or whatever. Um, and yeah, and I've only done it because it was just me and a friend, and she did hers and I did mine, and I think it was like fifty dollars at Hershey Park, and and it it we did come away saying, okay, we got to ride everything we wanted to ride. I mean, it, it accomplishes that goal, but but you do feel for people who have large groups and with children. And it definitely does kind of create that stratification that makes people very upset with Disney these days, because they Mm -hmm. feel like it's no longer a park for middle-class people. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's a park for the wealthy. And that, that is unfortunately, I mean, that's a, there's validity to that and it's sticking and it's kind of becoming this, you know, idea. And so it's kind of the haves and have nots, um, you know, and so I think, I get the problem. I get the conundrum that you feel. Um, but I, what I was going to ask you is, did you hear about the bear at Magic Kingdom? I week? did. I did. <laughs> I thought, I thought, oh, he's going to go see the country bears. I know. And, and I said, so nobody was going anywhere, genie or not. They were all waiting for him to be taken out of, or her, I think it was a her, yeah. taken out of uh, the tree, whatever tree she climbed. Um, and taken to a wildlife reserve. I'm thinking, I hope she doesn't have a family nearby because she's being moved 80 miles away and her family is probably like, mom went to Disney World and never came back. And she didn't even bring us a t-shirt. I know. Uh, <laughs> I know the first, come again. <laughs> the first report I heard, somebody posted that there was a bear on Tom Sawyer Island. And I thought, did it take a raft out there? I mean, <laughs> and then, then I heard, 
the real story later on. So um, anyway, <laughs> but yeah, that that was interesting. And then, of course, all the country bear jokes then started. And all the I've, memes about the bears. They had somebody took a bear, a brown bear, and stuck it in the haunted mansion doom buggy. Yes, I saw <laughs> that. That was hilarious. Yeah, people are getting very creative with yes. that. So, so that's really good. <laughs> well, Anita, thank you so much for joining me on these two episodes to that talk about pleasure. Destination D23. It was great fun. I appreciate your insights. And all that that you shared with us. So, well, thank you. Yeah. So, hopefully, we'll have you back again once we attend another another event. Well, until next time, you can connect with me um, at uh, Michael Bowling at DisneyInfo.com. That's my email where you can send me messages. Twitter, I'm at MBowling121. Facebook, I'm Michael Bowling connecting with Walt and Instagram and Michael Bowling the Diz. And you can connect with me and Craig and Anita and all our guest co-hosts on Twitter, currently known as X, at Connecting (laughs) Walt. If you would like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studio, his Imagineers, and Disneyland, check out our Disneyland podcast archives for my Disney history episodes on the link Craig includes in our show notes or DisneyPlug.com. And look for past episodes of Connecting with Walt on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Pandora, and Amazon podcasts, where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings when possible. So thank you for making us a part of your day. And remember, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing, that it was all started by a man, Walt Disney, and his brother Roy. <laughs> <laughs>